Amen. Good morning. Well, how many of you are good when you came in and you're better now after worship? That was great. Amen. That's the way it should be. And uh, good to have you out. And uh, as Pastor Mike said, we want you to join us in this endeavor to reach this area um, as we invite other people to our Easter services. And it is our heart to get into the neighborhoods. And so... Also, the stats are out there. If you will invite them, they will most likely come, but they're waiting for an invite. So if you will do it, they will most likely come. So put it in their hands and also on their doors. You can be of a great help to us by just adopting your neighborhood, your block as well, and uh, helping us next Saturday pass out these invites for our Easter services. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be impactful as we come together and we lift up the name of Jesus. Well, how many of you, between the time you could walk and maybe the time you got your driver's license, how many of you ran away from home at least one time? Yes, that's a lot of hands there. I didn't even think there was, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's got to be some amazing stories here. I mean, we can't go around right now, but there's got to be some amazing stories, uh, how you and why you ran away. Uh, you know, and it's kind of funny, if um, you kind of go back to that, maybe that awful emotional place, you know, it might have had something to do with one of our parents or our parents or both of them probably. We, you know, we parents drive our kids out sometimes. It's crazy. But the interesting thing about running away from home as a kid is that it's all about the away, isn't it? It's not so much about the two you know what I mean? Like you ran away and you got to the end of the driveway and you were away, but you think, where am I going to? I remember doing that, right? Well, what am I going to do now? I'm at the end of the driveway or at the end of the property line. I mean, where, where, where is this going to end? You know, where, where is it going to take me? But you were, where are you running to? So we can't answer that. Next question. Don't raise your hands on this one because we've all done it sometime or another. How many of you have actually run away from God? Don't raise your hands, all right, because we've probably done this at least once in our lives, maybe, maybe more. We've, how many of you actually run away from God? You, you ran away from God into some other thing, financial thing, into some other relational thing. You know, and it's not so much maybe that you abandon your belief in God, uh, but on this issue, you're just like, yeah, God, I'm running. I don't want you to do anything about it. Just leave me alone. I'm doing my own thing. We started last week uh, to look at a very famous person who was the preeminent runner. And he is the most famous from running from God person in the Bible. His name is Jonah. And uh, this story we said last week is not only of running, but also, as we sang today, of God's relentless love to us as humans. And as we're going to discover even today, this is our story. This really is our story. All of our lives in some way intersect with a story in the life of Jonah, and I don't want you to miss it. So we're going to go to chapter 2 because every week we're taking a new chapter. We started uh, chapter 1 last week, and if you were here, you heard that. But we're going to get to chapter 2 in a moment, but just a little review. In, in Jonah 1.1, 1, 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and God said to him, Go to the great city of, city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And when Scripture says it was a wicked city, Nineveh was more wicked than you could ever imagine. We talked a little bit about that last week. 
But God said to prophet Jonah, go east, young man, go to Nineveh. And God said, go. Jonah said, no. And he got in a boat sailing west with a destination of 2,500 miles away from Tarshish. So God basically said, you know, wait a minute. This assignment is too important for your life, and I want you to understand that. I'm not going to let you run from me, even though you're trying to run from me. And we see that he did try to run, and the sailors tried to hold on to him, and, and uh, it didn't work out so well. And then finally, we know that uh, we see Jonah, the prophet on the run, he was a prayerless prophet, we see in the first chapter. A prophet that did not pray in chapter one. It's kind of crazy. The prophet of God, who's not in a mood to pray, and the storm is raging, the sailors come in, what's going on? And Jonah's like, you know, I've got to admit, it's my fault why we're in this mess and why the storm has come upon the ship, threatening to break it up. So, you know, throw me in. And uh, they eventually had to do that. We had no choice. And so the Lord provided a great fish that swallowed Jonah, where he spent three days, three nights in the belly of a fish. That's where we pick up Jonah chapter 2 is the prayer of Jonah, and this is thought to be a beautiful Hebrew prayer, also known as the Psalm of Jonah, and you have to recognize this is just a snapshot of what Jonah was praying because he was three days and three nights, so there's a lot that he said, I'm sure, in three days and three nights, and scripture isn't capturing all of it but probably some of the most important parts. So what we have here is we have a runaway prophet who neglected God, and then we see he finally did pray, delivered from this fish, looking back and recording in hindsight all the lessons he learned. So Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1, let's dig in from inside the fish. Jonah, we see, finally did something. It said, Jonah what? prayed to the Lord his God. In other words, God said, you know what, I've got your attention. Maybe God's got your attention today, and your prayer life is about ready to re-emerge. That would be a great thing, wouldn't it? That God has got your attention so much that our attention would be focused on him, and our prayer life would re-emerge. And he said, in my what? In my distress, he said, I called on the Lord. Now, isn't it true that for some of you that the first time you prayed in a long time was when you were in distress? If you can go back and look, you were staring at a pregnancy test. You maybe were in the back seat of a police car. You, you were driving home to tell your parents something you'd been avoiding telling them. And in your distress, now don't miss this, this is so powerful, and in your distress, no matter what you believed about God beforehand, or no matter what you had convinced yourself about God beforehand, regardless of how you justified your sin in your disobedience, in your distress, you called to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? In our distress, we called to the Lord. See, circumstantial brokenness coming to the end of ourselves overpowers our intellect, doesn't it? It does. It overpowers our theology, our understanding and our knowledge of God, it overpowers our resistance. And in our distress, we call out to the Lord. And this is pretty cool. Sometimes people won't even use the word pray. Have you ever noticed that? They'll say, you're going through a hard time? I'm sorry, I'll be thinking about you. Let, let me just say this. If I'm going through a hard time, please don't let your response be, I'll be thinking about you. 
okay? Don't say that. What are you really doing? Well, you're thinking about you. No, pray, call on God because he will answer you. Now, Jonah said, in my distress. Now, the word distress is the word sarah. It's T-S-A-R-A-H. And this word, he remembers, this is the Hebrew language. They, they use uh, pictures and words. Word pictures are so important. He's writing a very, very beautiful picture of what is going on. And this, is where, this word is used when someone, particularly, particularly a woman, thank God, is giving birth. When a woman is giving birth, and it means the travail of childbirth. Or it means the distress of labor that she is going through. It means the tension as if someone is in the pain of childbirth. That is the word he's using here. And so you see he's inside the belly of this fish and he's using a pregnancy word. In my distress and in my agony, he's saying, in my distress, in my agony, I am going through this and it means giving birth, it means the travail, it means the distress, it's a pregnancy word, in the agony as if I'm being born, I called on God, he answered me. Then look at the next verse, he said, from the depths of the grave I called for help and you listened to my cry. Now, in other words, he's saying, from the point in which I was farthest from God, from the place where I was miserable and had had no way to contribute from the place where I was helpless, from the place that I was desperate and afraid and hurting, I called on God. Listen, God listens to the desperate cry of help from desperate people. Amen? Who in the desperate circumstances of their own creation still relentlessly loves us. That's amazing. And Jonah says, it's okay because let me tell you about your heavenly father. He is generous in his grace. In my despair, I turned to the Lord and he answered me. There's a lot of grace going on. We see this. There's a lot of grace bestowed upon our lives. And you know, grace, that's constant, everyday, moment by moment invitation that regardless of how far you've strayed, regardless of how far you've run, it's a moment-by-moment moment thing. It's a daily invitation. And this is the heart of the Father. Come back. Come back and surrender your will to mine. You know, when I was reviewing this this morning and praying in my office before coming down here, I sensed God just saying, this is my heart, John. This is such my heart for my people that they would know I want them to come back and I want them to surrender to me again because that is the heart of our Father. That's powerful. He's saying, you know what, Jonah, I was, Jonah's saying, I'm good as dead, but God in his mercy could cause me to be born again. I was completely in my own power helpless. I couldn't even contribute to a thing, but I was not hopeless because God, even though I did not deserve his love and mercy, was still on the throne, still hearing me, and he could cause me to rise from the dead so that I could be born again. Make no mistake, anyone who experiences death and regains life has changed forever. We've read about it, haven't we? Talk to anyone who has had a brush with death. The roses are redder, the sun is warmer, the sky is more beautiful. 
Life is precious and every moment counts. No longer are their days taken for granted. And you see, Jonah sensed and saw the great fish as God's deliverance and salvation. Talk about optimistic. He gets swallowed alive and doesn't pray for deliverance. He prays and thanks God for the deliverance that the fish brings. At any point, we realize in this story, God could have just went poof, right? God could have delivered him, calmed the storm, everything's cool, but God still did a miracle. And I want you to notice, God was actively working even though Jonah was still in pain. I hope you know that today. You may be in pain in your life, but you have to understand that God is working right now in the midst of your pain. Watch the different phases of God's work, if you will. Jonah, go. Jonah says no. Jonah, get on a ship. Phase one, God sends a storm. It doesn't work. Phase two, God sends the captain. You need to pray. Phase three, the sailors have mercy on him. They don't throw him overboard at first. Phase four, when they do throw him overboard, God sends a fish, right? Phase five, the fish gets a tummy ache and throws him up on shore. You see the phases that he's going through inside of these four chapters, and all through this miracle, you can see different places where God was working. A lot of times, we will say, God, I want you to do this in my life, whatever it is, fill in the blank. God, I want you to do this. And God doesn't do this, and sometimes we get freaked out. I want you to understand, don't neglect And don't overlook all of the little things that God may be doing on the way to this. Whatever that is for you. Watch, though, as God works. God may have you in a 10-phased healing process right now in your life. But if you don't go through the first nine, you're not going to learn the things that God wants you to learn. You may be on phase four going, God, where's phase 10? Bring it to me quickly. Don't forget to embrace the phase and celebrate the work of God as he leads you in his ultimate destiny. Now, verses three, four, five, and six, he says, oh, God, you hurled me into the deep. Now, technically, it was the sailor who did this, but Jonah was very wise in understanding. This was the hand of God. He is behind everything. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current winds and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers, they swept over me. And he said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your temple. So Jonah is saying to the sailors, you guys just got on the wrong boat. I want you to understand this because God is coming after me and he may take us all down. (laughs) So, So they throw Jonah into the water. And here's my question. At what point in this story do you think Jonah repented? At what point do you think that he finally broke? Do you think that it was maybe day two inside the fish or the afternoon of day three or late into the first night, I think it might have been when they were standing on top of the ship and they were going, and a one, (laughs) and a two. (laughs) And then there's always the guy, wait, do we 
throw on three or do we throw after three? You know, there's always that person, right? And so that might have been the point where he repented of his sins right there. I think I probably would have. You know, what is about ready to happen? This, this ship's about ready to break up. And you see he's, they hurl him into the air and um, he goes into the water and it may be at that point, God, I repent. I'll go to Nineveh. I mean, I'll even go to Narnia. I'll go to both if you want me to. I'll go to whatever you're sending me to as long as I want. And, you know, I'm a new man, right? See, when I was um, a kid, my dad spanked my siblings and me and spanked us with a belt. Not the belt buckle, you know, not the whole belt, but he would take this wide belt uh, and he would fold it and uh, he would spank us. And you know what? I'm glad he did. I, I'm glad he did. Not at the point that he did it, but some of you are glad your parents did. And we wish some of your parents had. <laughs> oh, well, we got claps too. <laughs> That's a different sermon for a different day, but... Because my dad believed, and I believe as parents, some of us believe that one of the best things that we can do for our kids is associate rebellion with pain. Because rebellion ultimately leads to pain. And the earlier that we learn that, the better, right? So we understand rebellion does lead to pain. Now here's the deal. When I was disobedient as a kid, as soon as I saw my dad pull his belt out, I was a new man. <laughs> right? <laughs> I repented right there. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I remember many times it was like this, right? <laughs> I, <laughs> oh, my Lord, I'm about ready to get this. Yeah, and so, uh, and uh, how, were some of you the type that would talk back, like, like wait a minute, I just want to explain myself just a moment, you know? Like, I just have another word to say, and it's like, you know, the side of your belt, Dad, I have learned, and uh, just seeing it, really, I repent, I'm sorry, I've learned my lesson, there's no need for pain, and do you know what my dad would do? He would spank me, because he knows, um, he knows, and your heavenly Father knows that sometimes discipline must be thorough to ensure that we never run again. Yes, God is generous with his grace, but he is thorough with his discipline. And God knows because he loves you that his discipline is not to pay you back, it's to bring you back. It's to win you back to him. And it's to ensure because of the memory of pain and perhaps because of the scars of sin, because of the consequences of your running, that you and I never run again because he loves us. So God allowed Jonah to rattle around inside of a fish for three days, three nights. And listen how he describes it. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me and the deep surrounded me and seaweed wrapped around my head. Whatever was in the fish's guts are around me now. It almost sounds like an episode of Man versus Wild. Okay, he's in big trouble. Verse 6, to the roots 
of, or some of your scriptures may say, the moorings of the mountains, I sank down, way down to the bottom. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. In other words, there is no physical hope for me. It's game over. I'm a dead man. But you know and you see inside of this that God's discipline is thorough. When the nation of Israel rebelled, God sent them into captivity. Is that right? Yes, he did. When King David disobeyed God, God wreaked havoc with his family, with his authority, with his reputation. But even in teaching King David that lesson, God never abandoned King David. And it was from David that the Messiah came. Because God was generous with his grace, he is thorough. He is thorough with his discipline. And then he says, but... But, but you, God, you brought my life up from the pit. You read Jonah 1, you'll see over and over again. We said last week, he went down, he went down, he went down, he went to the bottom. And then all of a sudden, Jonah 2, because of the interaction of God, things shift, and we see him starting to go back up. But you, oh God, brought me up from the pit. Some of you right now, you may feel today in this room that your life is spiraling, spiraling out of control. That you're, it's going downward. And, and I want to remind you never to forget the but God moments in our lives and in scripture that God is there. But God, my life was out of control. But God intervened. My marriage was in trouble. We thought it was over. But God changed my heart and healed our marriage. The doctor said there's no chance. You might as well prepare for the end. But God has the final say. Can I hear an amen today? Because you're a little quiet for me, first service. Come on. But God moment, save us. The same God who allowed you to go down will bring you back up. Amen? Don't forget the but God moments. Remember, all things are possible with God. When Jonah was at a point where every physical thing, you, you, you'll never survive. I, I was too far gone. But God, but God, the God of the universe, I called on him. He heard my cry. He delivered me. From the pit, he goes on to say, verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, what did he do? Say it out. He said, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer, it rose to your holy temple. I remembered you, God, and, and I remembered your faithful hand, and I remembered that you loved me. And so my cry rose to your temple. And then in the next verse, he shifts his tone. Remember, he was a prophet. He declared prophetic truth. And that's what he does right now. You can hear the seriousness of his tone. It's as if from the deepest point in life, he's warning those readers his, of this time and this warning to us today. He's, he's saying basically, whatever you do, don't do what I did. Whatever you do, don't run from God. Whatever you do, don't neglect him and don't disobey him like I did. I mean, aren't you thankful for biblical writers who are honest to put in there their feelings to help lead and guide us today, right? I mean, that's how real the word of the Lord is, that it just wasn't all rosy. It was, yes, real struggles of men and women of God that went through this, and then God allowed it to go in, and he ordained and anointed his word so that we could learn from it today. And Jonah's saying, hey, whatever you do, don't do what I did. Don't do this. Don't neglect him. Verse 8, those, 
those who cling to worthless idols forfeit, what's he saying, or lose or abandon or give up or they don't experience God's love for them. Wow. Yeah, God's love is constant to us, but he's saying, listen, if you cling to worthless idols, he said you will forfeit God's love for you. Now, I want to tease this thing out a little bit. This is huge. Here's what he says. It's that when you run from God, it's because you're running to something. When you run from God, you're running to someone. You're running to an opportunity. You're running to a lifestyle. You're running to pleasure. You're running to entertainment. You're running with friends. So when you run from God, you run to something. And here's what Jonah says. He says, everyone who runs from God comes to the place where they finally get what it is that they are running to and they embrace what it is they are running toward. And they finally get to the place in their life, that season in life, that status that they're running toward and they realize that what they've devoted their life, they've devoted their time, they've dedicated their youth to, all of a sudden they realize it's not what they thought and they begin to miss what they used to have. And they realize that what they wanted, that what they pursued is not worth what they gave up. That is a true statement. It wasn't worth it. And the reason he says with this with confidence, he says, I know this is true. I know this is true because in your despair, you do not cry out for the things that you pursued when you turned your back on your heavenly father. In your despair... You did not cry out for the person you pursued when you turned your back on your heavenly father. In your despair, you did not cry out for the deal that you pursued, the occupation, the standard of living, the lifestyle. In your despair, you don't cry out for any of those things. In our despair, we cry out for God. Because in our heart and in our gut, we know the most valuable thing about living, the most valuable thing in life is to know that my heavenly father cares for me and loves me and is looking out for me. Because we realize in prayer, many people come to prayer and they come to prayer and they think it's a button to be pushed to get God to do what we want him to do rather than looking at prayer as a relationship with the father. We forget many times prayer is about relationship first, before any of our needs, before any of the problems, that prayer is a relationship with the Father in heaven. That's what God wants from you and I when we pray. He wants the relationship. He knows all your needs. He knows all your wants. He wants you. Every human being in his soul knows that what is most valuable, that is why in our despair we cry out for the things that we pursued when we chose not to pursue a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So Jonah says those who run come to the point of brokenness when they realize this was a worthless idol. And what I've given up in order to have this was a terrible, terrible decision on my part. But here's what most of us, and we've learned it the hard way, it's not until we're broken, it's not until we're busted, it's not until we're caught, it's not until our backs are against the wall that all that becomes clear to us. In the midst of his prayer, as he rehearses his experience, there is this moment of clarity 
that comes. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit God's love. Those who cling to them. What were his idols? Well, he had an idol of prejudice, we could see. I don't like this group of people, period. Second, he had an idol maybe of self. In other words, I heard God, but I don't care what he said. I'm going to do what I want to do. Can I say how, how much we as believers need to surrender the idol of self? If there's one thing, in my opinion, that believers that I know in the kind of cultural Christian America needs to do, it's to let go of the idol of self. Yeah, I know what God's word says, but I don't care. He says those who cling on to these idols, they cannot receive. They forfeit, he said, grace, the pursuing love of God. And you're saying, that's a bad trade. Yes, it is. Some of you right now are going to realize the thing that you're doing and you are running after it has been a bad trade. And you're holding on to things that the Bible says are idols. And you're missing out on God's very best, his grace and his love. Then I like what Jonah did. He didn't make excuses. Look at the next verse. Verse 9. Middle nine, what have I vowed? Say it out. What have I, what I vowed, excuse me, I will make good. What did he vow? Well, we don't exactly, probably what he vowed was, God, if you tell me to speak, I will speak. If you tell me where to go, I will go. We don't know what he exactly said because he doesn't say it, but we know what he's gonna, about ready to do. And some of you today, I believe, are going to make good. I don't know what that is for you, but something that God has put in your heart that you're going to make good that needs to be made good, and maybe you haven't done it, but now you see today you need to do it. And then remember this as we're closing this verse and closing down this chapter, I should say, Jonah was in the fish. There's nothing he could do, I want you to understand that, to contribute to his salvation. He could not go and sacrifice an innocent animal and make a sacrifice to God. This is Old Testament, remember He couldn't give money at the temple. He couldn't go do good works. He couldn't help feed the poor. He he couldn't do any kind of physical good work to contribute to him to get out of the fish. And I I want you to remember that. Then the next verse we see in 9, he said that I hope you hear this in a way you've never heard it. I couldn't contribute anything. Basically, he says, therefore, salvation comes from the Lord. I realize now in my distress, salvation comes from the Lord. That's where salvation comes from. It's from God. It's not from you. It's not from our works because we showed up today at church, but I'm glad you're here. It's not because we got up and we did all the right things that God says, wow, I'll give you that. It's not because of that, but the New Testament says, for it is by grace that you have been saved. Amen? Hallelujah, it's a gift of God, nobody can boast. Hallelujah. And we can't brag about what we've done in it. It's the gift of God through Jesus Christ that salvation comes from the Lord and when we recognize it, that it cost God his son who shed his blood, you and I can be saved because of what Jesus Christ did for us. That's why it's good news. And you and I can't bring anything to it. We recognize that our only reasonable response is, here is my life. God, now you take it. 
You take it. Salvation comes from you alone. Then verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I love that. I mean, you know, hey, fish, go throw him up. Boom. There it is. It's kind of gross, disgusting. I know. And um, he, he came out of the depths of this great fish. There's a couple of reminders I want to remind you about. Three, rejoice that God extends the grace of the second chance. He is rejected by the fish, but he is accepted by God. Number two, never doubt the relentless love that God has for you. You see, for if an unattractive, unsympathetic, disobedient character like Jonah can pray while he suffered the consequences brought on himself, so can we. That, that God meets us even at our self-imposed struggle and difficulty. Did you hear that? God meets us even at our self-imposed struggle and our difficulty. He meets us there. God wants us to get back on track again. And how many of you know that God will do whatever it takes to get us back on track again? He will. He's a faithful father. You need to understand that. You may feel like you're off track today, in the ditch, whatever. You're out in the field somewhere. God says, no, I want you back over here. You've realized that today again. And number three, watch God make the best of our worst. That's true. No matter how bad we made it, um, we've not made it too impossible for God. We can get it right this time because God is pursuing us to save us. And it's time to get it right, to get it right. If you're on the run, it's time to turn around because God is speaking to you. So don't make him have to use more drastic action. Amen? That's true. Don't make him have to do that. He's warning us today. Get this right. Get this right. And then get it right when you know you're caught. Don't keep running. So we can get the perspective of God. We can rejoice in the Lord. Get it right and realize the pursuit of God is for your benefit. He chases because he loves. He chases because he saves. That is why he does what he does. Amen? So I want us to stand today. I want us to stand, and I would like our ministry teams to come. And I, I want them here today to pray with you. I want them to pray with you because, listen, in a congregation this size, there is people here that in your heart, you've been running from something. You might have told anybody. God knows. Maybe it's something you need help through. That, our ministry team is here today. So before you check out of this service, before you go into the rest of the day, I would like you to respond today to say, you know, before the Lord, there, you know what, I, I need prayer. Maybe you've been running from something, and in all honesty, maybe you just say today, I need to come to this altar, and I need to bow my knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords because I have been running. Let me, let me tell you something. God will meet you where you're at today. Come on. Amen? Don't let him go to drastic measures. We've all felt that in our life. The drastic measure, God has to come after us, and then it gets worse when they're like, oh my goodness, like he did for Jonah. But would you respond today? Would you respond today? Maybe you're saying, I need salvation. I don't know the Lord. But you know what? I feel like I'm in the belly of a fish, and I've been here a long time. God has sent that to save you, sir, ma'am, young person, to reach you. Because he loves you, 
and he cares about you and he will continue to pursue you but stop pushing God away because he absolutely loves you. So today, before you leave this place, if you need prayer, if you need somebody to agree with you, that's why we're here. And would you come and receive the love of God for your life? Amen? Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you've known him for a long time. Maybe you're running. Maybe you want to pray for somebody today. Or just you want to stand in for them and say, they have been running from the Lord, and I want to pray for them. Listen, we got a community of people out there that are running from the Lord today. Amen? God's called us to reach them and minister to them and love them through their most difficult moments. Amen? So as a worship team sings and prays, let's just pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your presence with us that never goes away. Thank you that your word says that we can boldly come before your throne of grace with confidence. And I intercede on behalf of this church family today. The Lord, we would respond to you. We would respond to your voice. We would respond to what you're saying more than anything else, Lord, in our heart. And that, Lord, we would give up control. And we would say, as Jonah said, oh, I give, Lord, I give my life to you. Do whatever it takes. Here it is, Lord. I love you and I need you today. And we realize that salvation, as Jonah says, comes.